Creo que no puedo hablar en inglés, pero voy a tratar, ¿no? Wow, it's so good to see you, Foothill Bible Church. You just don't know how exciting it is to be here. It was like heaven singing those songs. Brother, thank you. Where is Mike Defada? Where are you? Thank you, brother. Wow. I don't even need to preach. That was the gospel right there. Thank you. First off, I just want to ask uh, all those, who, if your last name is Wine, could you stand up? I haven't even seen you. <laughs> we have some wines here. Look at all these wines here today. Well, uh, as you know, the Lord's leading us to Argentina, and I'm going to tell my grandkids, Owen and Ella, the hardest thing, the hardest thing, Kleenex time about going to Argentina is missing you. Because I watched my kids grow up. I'm used to them. <laughs> but Owen and Ella and Alden and all the rest. Wow, that's hard. Judah, mm, Levi. Haven't even got to hold Levi yet. Okay, the quick update on the wines. We finished language school. We're done with that. Are we done learning Spanish? <laughs> no. Last Sunday I preached in Spanish, or what's called preaching in Spanish. <laughs> By any other name, it's preaching in Spanish. And now, we're so excited. Uh, Israel and Marissa served under Eduardo and Gloria Baldine in Buenos Aires, Argentina, the same group we're going to be serving under. We were there last summer, and they invited us to be on the leadership team of Fundación de Iglesias that oversees that church planning ministry. So it's an incredible blessing. Unfortunately, we don't know what we're going to do exactly with them, but God will, uh, God will lead. So let's get into the Word. What do you say? Uh, Thanksgiving vacation. There was a big traffic accident in Texas. You may have heard about, it, heard about it. According to the sheriff's department there, on Interstate 10, about 80 miles east of Houston, in one initial crash on the eastbound side of the highway set off a chain reaction of collisions, which spiraled out of control, and they say it was due to a lack of visibility on the foggy road. Even as the vehicles piled up, dozens of drivers added to the pileup before conditions were even clear enough for other motorists to avoid the collisions. Jefferson County Sheriff's Office uh, Deputy Rod Carroll said, It is catastrophic. I've got cars on top of cars. More than 100 vehicles were involved. The fog was so thick that officers did not immediately even realize that they were dealing with multiple accidents. This is a great illustration of what is happening right now to us in the spiritual realm. Hey, any of you, anybody here been saved by Here, experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Anybody here had the guilt of your sin removed? Anybody here experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit? 
Anybody here, while you were singing today, those wonderful words of the gospel, feel the exaltation and the communion with God and the fellowship of the saints? Well, if you experience those things, you're a target for the enemy. And the enemy is going to attack you. You know, uh, I have seen many spiritual catastrophes in my life. I've seen pastors wash out of the ministry. I've seen missionaries quit and go home. I've seen marriages fail. I've seen youth who have walked away from the truth of the gospel. And I've seen many others who are just going through the motions, having lost their joy. It is critical that in these last days, we shine brightly all the way to the finish line. You see, God did not save us so that we could be beginners of the race. God saved us so we would be finishers. Isn't that right? We want to finish this race. But there is fog at work. There is definitely fog at work because we get our blinders on. We start looking at our circumstances around us. And we actually lose track of God's truth. And that blinds us to the walk of faith. Well, this morning, if God is willing, and I can hold up, and I keep speaking in English, I'm going to give you some powerful, fog-penetrating perspectives from God's Word, the Bible, that will fortify you to run the race of faith all the way to the finish line. Sound good? First, I want you to notice there is a finish line. There is a finish line, and at the... um, This is what preachers call selected scriptures. That means we're going to hop around in the Bible. This is not what you call an exegetical message. So my brothers will forgive me for that. (laughs) We're going to hop around sin contexto. It's a theological term. (laughs) We're going to hop first to Psalm chapter 90. One of my favorite psalms. This psalm was actually written by Moses. Yes, Moses wrote this psalm. And this is to let you know that there is a finish line. And he identifies what it is. Look at verse 10 of Psalm chapter 90. Moses writes, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years. Listen, Bill Bunnell. How many years you got now? Ninety-six. Okay. We'll pardon you for violating Scripture here. <laughs> okay, so the, we got 70 years, if by reason of strength, 80 to 96 years. Yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon What? Cut off, and we fly away. Look at verse 12. Moses says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Here's the deal. 
there's a finish line, and it's the end of your days. Now, sometimes we call it death, but you know what? That's a lousy term for it. The Bible says there's three kinds of death. There's spiritual death, which we all experience through good old Adam. Thank you, Adam. There's a second death, which occurs after the judgment, when all those unbelievers are cast into the lake of fire. And then there's this kind of death. It's the end of the days. It's actually the separation of the soul from the body. Now, of the three types, which do you think is worse? Spiritual death, the second death, perishing in the lake of fire, or the separation of the soul from the body? The second death. Which is the least? Yeah, what we would call physical death. That's where our soul goes on, but it's separated from our body. Which one do we seem to fear the most? The physical death. That's goofy, isn't it? Why do we do that? I don't know. I think we're goofy in that. I would rather call it a finish line. It's a finish line to another transition. It's the finish line of this hard life on earth. Okay, well, that's the finish line. Now, note, it doesn't say retirement is the finish line. Right? When is the finish line? At the end. Now, I'm not against retirement. I like retirement. Just realize it's not the finish line. Right? If you're retired, great. You're still in the race. You are still in the race. By the way, what is the race? We haven't come to that yet. I want you to think about that. The finish line of the race is the transition when your soul leaves your body. But what is the race? I'll come back to that in a little bit. Now, the first uh, perspective I want to see. By the way, is this mic cutting off? Can you fix that? Should I switch? They're giving me the switch. All right, we're there. Phew. Thank you, Lord. We dodged the first one. Okay. So we're in this race. There is a finish line. It's at the transition. We all want to get there, right? We want to get to the finish line having run the race. And the race is hard. And it's getting harder. Because we are under attack. And you know you're under attack. And we need to keep our biblical fog-penetrating radar active so that we keep our perspective, avoid catastrophe, and run that race. So, and I want to give you these fog-penetrating strategies from God's Word. Now, I only have time to give you some. There's many more. Thank God you're in a Bible-preaching church, so you're going to get them. You have to keep coming here, though, every week to get the rest. But I'm going to give you some this morning. Let me go over them very quickly, okay? Number one, you're going to keep the past in view. How do you keep the past in view? Well, there's some things to remember and some things to forget. And we're going to go over those. Next, you need to keep the future in view. And that's all about Christ. All about Christ. Christ is worthy. Christ owns us. And Christ has made us his people. So, when you're driving down a foggy road... You need perspective. 
and the perspectives are to keep the past in view and to keep the future in view. All right, and the finish line is your transition to the next life. Now, some things to remember. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Two things to remember, your testimony and Christ's resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 9 and 10. And I am reading from the New King James. I apologize, but my NASB was packed away today. So I have the New King James here. 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9. Then the Lord... No, uh, whoops, that's Second Peter. That's Segundo de Pedro. We're back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. Here's what I want you to remember, your testimony. Look at verse 9. God created you to be a chosen generation a royal priesthood, his own special people. Why? Is it to be silent? You can answer. I like that. No, it's not. It's to proclaim. Now, what are you to proclaim? This is God's design for you, by the way. Remember, God saved you. He put that Holy Spirit in you. He gave you that thrilling delight in communing with him. And he has designed that you're going to do something. And that something is to proclaim. And what are you going to proclaim? According to this verse. You're going to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness. By the way, is that true? Did he? Do you remember what that was like? That darkness? Do you remember the, the trap of the guilt you were in? Do you remember the hopeless feeling? Do you remember the joylessness, the meaninglessness of that life? God called you out of that. And that is what he wants you to proclaim. Now, I'm going to call that, for a purpose here of this application, your testimony. God wants you to proclaim your testimony. In fact, it's not just accidental that he wants you to do that. It's on purpose. You're chosen to do it. You're his royal priesthood for, for that proclamation. When was the last time you shared your testimony of that? Can you think? Listen. When you, when you and I don't do something that he's designed us to do and commanded us to do, that, is that a faithful act or a faithless act? That's a, faith, that's a faithless act. I'm an expert in those two. I know exactly how that works. 
God says do it, and I don't, okay? It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you blew it. Yes. My kids are smiling. Yeah, we know that. Dad. Okay. If you haven't shared your testimony, you need to do that. You don't have to go knock on someone's door. Share it in your small group. Share it with a friend. Share it with your family member. Look, have you ever heard someone um, who had something bad happen to them? And they said, you know what? I just can't talk about that right now. I can't, I can't do it. Have you heard that? Why is that? They don't want to talk about it. Because it brings up feelings of pain, right? It, they relive the agony of that. Well, guess what? Sharing your testimony does the same thing, except in the positive direction. When you share how God transformed your life, you relive that, and the fog begins to part. It keeps your faith alive. God is commanding you to share your testimony. This is not a minor thing. This is your purpose right here in the body of Christ. You, Christian, talk about the glory, the, the glory of the transformation that he's done in your life. Share it. Share it at the office. Share it with your family. But share it. Make a plan right now in your mind. Who am I going to share my testimony with? Okay? We do that? That is a powerful, fog-penetrating radar to keep your perspective. Okay, next. What else do you remember? Turn to 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. And I appreciate David giving me more time, but I am being very inefficient today, so I'm going to speed up. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. He says, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. Do you believe that? I do. I believe it. But do you really believe it? How do you know that? Is, it, is that a scientific fact? Did God reveal it to you in a midnight dream? How do you know that? Well, I know how I know it, because it says it right in here. It's recorded in this document. This is a good time to just remind you that our world has three ways, basically, of knowing stuff, what it calls knowing stuff. One is science. You get that. If we've seen it and observed it and measured it, then it's real. Then we know it. The other popular way is uh, what's called mysticism. Um, our friends in China know this well, whether it's Eastern mysticism or popular Southern California mysticism. Ay, ay, ay. That's a Spanish word. <laughs> the mystics uh, say we experience spirituality in our inner being. And we know spiritual truth because we experience it. We don't perceive it. We experience it. Is that how we know the resurrection? No. 
no, 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 no. We don't know it scientifically and we don't know it mystically. There's another type of way of knowing something, and it's called revelation. I like this way. It's because when Creator God, the one who made everything from nothing, appoints ministers of His to receive His revealed knowledge, He gives it to them, they write it down in a book so that we can scarf it up. ¿Cómo se dice scarf en español? You know what I'm saying? I like revelation. I like it. I love it. Revelation is how we know about the resurrection. Okay, so why do we remember the resurrection? The resurrection is why we're here. It's all about the resurrection. Turn real quick to Romans chapter 4. Look at the last verse in Romans chapter 24. He's talking about Christ. Paul writes about Christ. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense that Jesus was raised because of your justification? Works like this. When Jesus died on that cross, he took the wrath of God for your sin and mine. He took it. And when he took that, there was no longer any sin held to your account in God's eyes. The penalty that Christ paid was so perfect and complete that he took it all, all of your sin, past, present, and future. And because God's wrath was satisfied completely, There was no longer any penalty yet to be paid. Therefore, because of your justification, because you were made right, because the penalty was paid and the wrath was poured out and the wrath was satisfied, therefore the Lamb of God could come back to life again. The resurrection is proof positive of your justification once and for all. Oh, yeah, you need to remember the resurrection of Christ, the factual, real life, come back to life again, exalted resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, so you need to keep the past in view. You need to remember your testimony. You need to speak your testimony, and you need to remember the resurrection. There's also a couple things you need to forget. You need to forget your sin, and you need to forget others' sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We are running a race. And if we get bogged down in sin, that is like running with 200 pounds on your back. We need to get rid of that sin. Look what Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 1 says. (coughs) 
Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Would you agree with me that that sin does kind of ensnare easily? Pretty easy stuff, huh? Your sin, other sin, you got to let it go. This sin problem is so easy and so active and so common that you can lack forgiveness and not even know it. Examine your heart right now. Is there anybody out there, anybody in this church, in your workplace, in your family, that you are just irritated at? It's just not sitting well with you, what they did or what they said. Listen, that's a snare to you. That's going to prevent you from running the race. It is. You need to let that go. You need to let that go. Colossians says in Colossians 3, you need to forgive in the same way that Christ forgave you. How did that happen? You know how it happened. When he was on the cross, still hanging there, what did he say? Father, forgive. It doesn't matter if you're justified or not, or not, right or wrong. You are commanded to forgive. You're commanded to let it go. God will take care of it. God is the judge. He will judge. But notice that I said you not only need to forgive others, you need to forgive yourself. Now, some of us are not good at this. But you are speaking lies to yourself. And the lies go like this. I wake up in the morning. I know I went to church today. I know I worship, but I'm just a rotten person. I am just rotten. My prayer life is rotten. My Bible study habits are rotten, 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 rotten. Don't you? We do that. You need to accept the promise of God. Listen, God said what about your sin? It's gone in Christ. Except by faith, your gift of righteousness. We subject ourselves to the fog of life. We're just so focused on this thing. Oh, my sin, my problem, the other people's sin, this stuff going on here, my troubles. Wait a second. I'm free. I'm free of that in Christ. Okay. That's the past. You have to keep the past in view. Your testimony of transformation, Christ's resurrection, and forgiveness for sin. But that's not all. You need to keep the future in view to prevent from getting bogged down in this fog of, of normal Everyday activity, you need to keep the future in view. If your Bible's still open to Hebrews 12, I want you to look with me right there at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. 
You know, discouragement is a real temptation and problem for us. That's why we're, that's why we're talking about it. If you get discouraged, you're not going to run the race well. Now is the time we need to identify what the race is. What is the race we're running? Is it a race of works? Is it a race of busyness? What is exactly this race? It is the race of faith. That is the race. That is the battle. We're fighting the battle of faith all the way toward the end. There's a beautiful little scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I want to show that to you. First Timothy 6, starting in verse 12. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He discipled him. He installed him as pastor at the church in Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy, Fight the good fight of what? Faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The fight is faith. Are you hanging on to the faith? Why would Paul tell Timothy, a pastor, to fight the fight of faith? Because we lose it. Wait a second. I'm saved by faith. So if, I, if my faith is diminished, does that mean I'm not saved? No. No. The penalty paid by Christ stands. Christ's work is what saved you. Your faith and reliance in his promise is what opens the floodgates of grace onto your heart and soul. So what is this, what is this fight of Faith. Let's turn to, uh, you can keep your finger there if you would, please. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know this verse already, but I want to read it. I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Do you know this one? Yes. Paul says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, here's how you lose your faith. When you stop walking by it, what is walking? That's taking a step. That's my normal day-to-day activity. When I stop being actuated by faith, when I make decisions that are not based on the revealed word of God, when I... When I am walking my life, when I'm living my life, when I'm busy in my life because of what I see or don't see, that that fog of daily activity, that's when I'm not walking by faith. I have lost the faith that I need to obey God's word. Paul says, no, no, we walk by faith. Okay, flip back to 1 Timothy. Chapter 6. 
We read verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. But look at verse 13. I urge you, Timothy, in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession, before Pontius Pilate. Hey, quite a lead-in, huh? Something important is going to come. He says, Timothy, I urge you before Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. What? Look at verse 14. That you keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus comes. Our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Paul wants Timothy to keep the commandment. He wants Timothy to obey the word of God. He wants Timothy to know this word and do it. How do you do that? By faith. Listen, Christian. The world wants to distract you. It wants you not to live the life of faith. There is only hope in the word of God. There is only hope in the promise of God. And when you stop living that, the discouragement sets in and the joy leaves. Okay. Keeping the future in view. Turn to our last passage here. Not the last of the preaching, but the last passage. Revelation chapter 5. This has been our theme for our missions conference. This is all future. The Bible records that there's a scene that's going to take place in heaven. Well, I'm going to begin reading in verse 8, but just give you the, uh, the introduction. There's a little drama because the Apostle John is watching, and there's no one worthy to take this scroll and to loose its seals. And there's no one in heaven on earth who can look into it. And John actually begins to cry. And then finally, he sees this lamb. I'll actually start in verse 6. Look at verse 6. John writes, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Wow. 
So what is the future? We know the future. We know it. If there is active sin in your life, if there's active unforgiveness in your life, if you're ashamed of your testimony and you're not speaking forth the transformation of what God's done in your life, if you have abandoned your walk of faith and you're walking based on uh, circumstances, the problems at hand, just what you can see in your narrow perspective, this is not going to mean very much to you. But if, if you reflect back and you remember, I am, I am one of the transformed. I am born again. I am a child of God. And you share that. And you experience the joy of sharing that. And you have cut loose all of that baggage of sin. You have accepted the refreshment of Christ's forgiveness. And you believe it. And you know what? You have let it go. The sins of all the others. All the others that have irritated you and sinned against you and offended you. No, I'm not holding that against anybody anymore. That's under God's control. If you have done that, you're going to realize this is true. Now, this is true. In my business career years ago, before Flappy Jacks, (laughs) I was a strategist back in those days. I like to set those goals, those big goals out there. We'll pursue those goals. You know what? This is the ultimate goal. This is the ultimate reality. I want to know if you see it. By the way, do you see it with your eyes? You see it with your spiritual eyes, don't you? We see this. Okay, I want you to look out there with your spiritual eyes. I want you to see the lamb taking the scroll. This is the risen Christ in all his glory. The light is shining. The angels are singing. The multitudes of the heavenly hosts are praising God. There's the redeemed of every tribe and tongue and people and nation before the throne worshiping him. And you know what they say? Verse 12 of Revelation 5. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you, Lamb, who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. That's your destiny. That is the reality that should grip your heart and actuate your actions. When you take a step in the morning, it's because of that reality. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, 
rules and reigns. He's my savior. That's going to happen. By the way, notice the tense used in verse 10. This is a future event. But it uses a past tense. It says, you have made us kings and priests to our God. I don't know if there's a word for that. Something that happens in the future, but it's past. But it's awesome. You know what? Is that what you call it? That's the awesome tense. (laughs) Only God can do that. That means it's going to happen, just like he said. Okay, we're we're in missions. We're not going out there, like hoping something good happens, or or feeling like this. All this pressure's on us to do something marvelous for God. It says here in verse nine, Jesus did. He had. He already has redeemed to God by his blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He's already done it. In the future, he's like, I already did it in the past. That's the awesome tense, isn't it? I accept that. You guys accept that in China? (laughs) He's already done the work somehow. His plan is firm. It's established. You know what? That totally changes the life of a missionary. Totally. I'm going down into the bar, Lord willing, in Febrero, próximo año, los barrios de Buenos Aires, y Catán, y El Tala, y todos los otros barrios, gracias a Dios, para predicar el Evangelio. Right? I'm going to those barrios to preach the gospel. And I know, I already know. God is going to redeem everybody that he wants to redeem. Everybody. Praise the Lord. I love that. Listen, in your life, God made you. He put you there. He gave you your job. He gave you your kids. He gave you your ministry. He gave you this church. He gave us our pastor. He gave us our elders. We're here. God put us here. And you know what? He's got a plan for us. We're walking in it. The good works are already prepared. That is exciting. Okay, here's the application and illustration. First, the illustration. You're driving in the fog. Bad fog. Texas fog. Driving on the freeway. But you know it's dangerous. So you stop. Not like those others, right? You stop. I'm driving in the fog. Stop! Why am I driving in the fog? Yes, Texans. A hundred cars piled up. Californians, talk about the fog. Okay, you're driving in the fog. You stop. You pull out your radar detection device. And you turn it on. You know, what it's, you know what you see? It penetrates the fog, and you see there's cars stopped up there, out of sight, but in the middle of the freeway. Whoa. So you thank God for that radar detection device. Because you know cars are not supposed to be stopped in the middle of the freeway. 
and you're so glad that you've been saved from whatever's about to happen. But you know what? You don't stop there, do you? You pull off the side of the road, you get your flashing lights out, you light your flares, you throw them out in the road, you start flagging people down because you want to save as many as possible from the destruction that's coming. Here's the application. Thank you, Lord God, for your gracious gift of this precious word. Thank you for telling us what's going to happen in the future. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming me, for saving me. Thank you, God, for the fact that I know Jesus Christ rules and reigns. And I'm going to be there for sure. One day I'm going to be there. That truth penetrates total, all that fog of your life, all that other slop you're going through. Puh, what is that? That's nothing. Jesus comes, is coming back, and we're going to be with him, and we're going there. And we're going to be around the throne, worshiping with all the saints. But it doesn't stop there for us, does it? Because what do we want to do? We want to tell as many people as possible. Don't go there. Don't go down that road. 60 miles an hour into the fog, that is destruction. There's a path of destruction there. Join me. I've got some good news for you. Let's get after it. Let's get after it. What do you say? Should we run this race? Or should we get bogged down? No. Let's run the race. Let's win the mission. Let's win the people. Let's preach the gospel. Let's support our missionaries. And let's get going with the work. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, FBC.